welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg, along with Stephanie Burke and Science Advisor Matt Moniz. Good morning. Good morning. Good evening. How are you guys? <laughs> I'm doing fine. You can just tell where I'm at. I'm probably worse off than you are right now. Yeah, you had a little bit of an injury? I did have an injury. How many fingers am I holding up? I honestly have no idea because my eyesight sucks too. No, oh, well, you're really screwed. I am. Because uh, we stuck you in front of the laptop there for the tweets. You did, and I have no idea why you would do that. The new laptop, by the way, which was given to us uh, by one of our very generous listeners. We thank you for that. I yes. think he wants to remain anonymous, but we appreciate it. Well, good thing you said that because I almost said his name. Yeah, I think I, I, I think he didn't want any credit for it. But if he does, I mean, he can let us know, and uh, I'll be more than happy to give him credit. But I, I think that he wanted to kind of remain anonymous. And, you know... We, we do the show here with the, the Spooky TV, which you can watch at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can click on and watch the, the video of what's going on in the studio. And through the generosity of some of our listeners over the last couple of years with our GoFundMe campaign, we raise enough money to buy that laptop and the cameras that run it. And But that takes a lot of processing power, so we're kind of limited in what we can do with that computer while the show's up and running. So the second computer, the second laptop, actually allows us to live tweet during the show a little easier. And it makes it so that we can be more interactive and find more things online. And, and we can actually know what we're talking about because now we all have Internet access in front of us. So if we, you know, start talking out of our rears, we can kind of back it up a little bit, which is what I do in the morning. Like, you'll hear me typing all the time. Like, that's because I'm about to say something that I'm not 100% positive of. So I want to make sure that I have the chance to look it up. And speaking of this morning, I had a great conversation this morning with Vermin Supreme. And uh, and I know that, Moniz, you're familiar with Vermin Supreme. I like him. But, Stephanie, I know that you said you hadn't really heard of him. He, you know, the, with all the stuff that's going on in New Hampshire, with all the presidential candidates that have been you know, descending upon New Hampshire, getting ready uh, for filling out their, you know, filing for the primary. Right. You know, the, you see the news stories that cover, you know, Ben Carson, Donald Trump, mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton, all these people that are going there and, you know, the big-name candidates. But every once in a while there's a story on some of the fringe weirdos that show up. And there's always usually a couple. Right. And I'd like to point out I am extremely educated and very informed in current events and news. But but you're not going to pay attention to the, you I know, think the, I just the joke candidates that show up there. I didn't pay attention to it, probably because I didn't take it seriously. See, but I'm hardwired in my brain to that's who I'm paying attention well, to. Well, you're a journalist. Is the weirdos. So. No, it's because I'm weird more than anything. Well, we know you're weird, but... And I'm looking for the, you know, I'm looking for the angle out of it that I can take. Because I know that, you know, here at the station they're going to cover all the major candidates. And I'm looking for the weird alternative candidates that, you know, fit my niche, my niche at the station. So this guy, Vermin Supreme, apparently this is like the third time he's run for president. And uh, he's he's got a big bushy beard and he wears a big rubber boot on his I head. I did see the pictures. And he carries around a gigantic toothbrush because he runs on a platform of... Everyone should brush their teeth. Mandatory toothbrush time every day. I mean, I think that should be a rule anyways. You're going to, well, I thought it was, but, you know, I thought it was like a life rule. I know, but nobody really enforces it. It's just kind of one of those things that you yeah, should just, do. Have you guys been down south? Uh, <laughs> I've been to We don't south, have to. I've been to South Wareham. I don't need to go that far right. south. Uh, like the the joke we always tell. You, you know, know how you do just you... aggravated a whole, like, half of the people that listen to their show. Well, how do you know that a toothbrush was invented in Middleborough? What? How do you know the toothbrush was invented in Middleborough? How? Because anywhere else they would have called it a teeth brush. <laughs> but uh, anyway, sorry well, to all of our Middleborough I'm going to apologize for both of you now. But are you, are you, are you eating 
candy while you're on the internet? I am. Oh, that's terrible radio etiquette. Swallow that. Swallow it now. <laughs> she's not. She's actually really going to try to swallow it. I'm only kidding. I don't need you to choke on the air. I'm not swallowing. I'm savoring every bit of it. Okay, there you go. So the, but he's also running on a platform that I think you'll agree with. Will I? No matter how you lean politically, you can get behind this. He wants to base the economy on ponies. And like he everybody wants, should get a free pony. Everybody gets a pony, mm-hmm. and that be, you know it's a it's a green source of energy. We all travel by pony once again. Now the only catch is we're all getting ponies, but they're going to become horses eventually. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't taken that into account yet. You can't ride ponies. The other problem that he that he has too is that he comes right out and tells you that he's lying to you, and he's not going to follow up on any of these things that he's promising. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and, and the other part of it, too, is, you know, we have a lot of issues with energy these days. Yeah, gas prices are down now, but we don't know what's going to happen with them going forward. Well, he has a plan for when the zombie apocalypse does happen, turning the zombies into a free renewable energy resource. So even instead of being plagued by these zombies, we'll actually be utilizing them to make the world better. So this, uh, you know, we have an interview that I conducted with him this morning. We're going to play it a little bit later on in the show. And we cover all of these topics in that interview, as well as some of the other uh, ideas behind his platform. One of them being that he wants to st- stock his cabinet, you know, his presidential cabinet with all the secretaries and, and uh, all of that. You know, instead of having it be qualified people, he wants to have it actually be meme celebrities. Like people that you know from the internet. So he's he's pushing for like Sweet Brown and Antoine Dodson. I wrote an actual list. If you go to go w- Grumpy Cat, he said he did not want Grumpy Cat. He felt that Grumpy Cat would not be able to get the job done. But if you go to wbsm.com, you can see my list of suggested meme cabinet members. Well, I saw you and Kristen were talking about this a little bit earlier. So. We were. We were kicking around some ideas. But I put out a whole list: ten potential candidates from the meme world if they want to have a meme cabinet. So. Check that out at WBSM.com. I also shared it on Twitter and uh, on Facebook as well. But we're going to play that interview later on so that you can hear his platform. And keep in mind, folks, he's a performance artist. You know, he's this is what he does. But at the same time, he is legitimately putting himself out there on the ballot. He plucked down $1,000 in order to file to run for president. And he's collecting donations. He's collecting campaign donations in all the states to, in order to get on the ballot. So, but part of this is it's all part of the you know bringing awareness to some of the issues because he he finds a roundabout way of telling you what's wrong with politics in an entertaining fashion. So, it was a fun interview. It was a lot of fun. So I'm going to play it a little bit later on just because it's weird, it's different, it's strange, and because I think the spooky South Coast audience would get a kick out of it. As I'm sitting there listening to this stuff, I was like, oh, man, we should have booked this interview for tonight instead of today. But, uh, you know, it, it makes it look like I'm kind of somewhat political on Saturday mornings. Because I'm, I think I'm just going to throw my support right behind him right now. Does he identify with the Church of the Spaghetti Monster? He does not. Oh, did you ask him? He's not against it. I did not ask him directly. But I know that he's uh, he's for people to have the freedom to believe what they want to believe, which is what Church the Church of the, of the Flying Spaghetti, Spaghetti Monster is all about. Because um, I think that that would just top everything. If he just identified with that religion, then... I, the only I reason know. I think that he wouldn't, though, is because he'd have to trade the boot for a colander. I thought that, too. And the boot is kind of important because the boot is where he hides one of his guns. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. He showed up to uh, to fill out all the paperwork, like, fully armed. Okay. Except there was no ammunition in any of his guns. 
we That's took out all the bullets and put like flowers in the barrel and everything and you know smiley face flags and everything because well because he was going to a place where like there was presidential candidates you know as soon as he pulled as soon as he walked up there ben carson was there at the same time so he's got secret service protection because they give secret service protection to the you know the candidates yes. that have a, a real shot and so the <laughs> Secret Service see him come up with rifles and handguns and everything else, and he'll actually tell you in the interview exactly what he had on him. And it's it's uh, just kind of funny that he would just walk in there like that. But oh, the more I hear about these candidates and what comes out of their mouths, I think well, they're, they're not the all world's going to hell in a handbasket. I want to tell you that they're all not like this, but they kind of are. Well, I mean, Ben Carson kind of threw his whole thing with the pyramid. I still can't get over that. I can't get over the fact that he just won't admit that he was wrong about that. It's kind of bizarre. And, like, archaeologists and not, it's are like, like he's not intelligent. We're, we're not voting for you. I know, you're a neurologist. You think right. you would have a little bit of intelligence enough to say, okay, well, maybe I was wrong about this. I don't know. Those... those kind of makes you wonder. Those grain silos were pretty uh, intricate. And as much as everybody loves Trump, I mean, he contradicts himself constantly on well, a daily basis. Yeah, he's it's Trump. You expect any less? I, I've said this. I in, think people expect more, or just kind of go with the flow. So, I said this on a few occasions. He's and I'm, nuts. Yeah, I'm going to hold to this. Are. Yeah, that's true. They the, all are. The Donald Trump candidacy is like how Sanjaya hung around on American Idol. Where, like, America just kind of wanted to see what happens, and then eventually they realized, I mean, okay, yeah. this has gone too far now. I am kind of curious. Well, that's the problem. Is like, I figured uh, after a certain point, people would be like, all right, enough's enough. Joke's over. But the problem is nobody else has been any better. Exactly. I mean, I think, obviously, he's a brilliant businessman, but at the same time... But he's not really, either. He's filed bankruptcy three times. No, the companies that the he companies built up still. did after he sold them. He's No, he his problem as a businessman is that he could never take his ego out of the deal. And if you've ever read his book, The Art of the Deal, it's just loaded with just superiority complex. Well, let's, let's go on the record now and say anybody that's voting for him has probably never read anything that he's written. I'm not even sure he actually wrote the book. Right. But, you know, bottom line, it's his personality that comes through in it. And what, what I find the biggest issue about it is that when he says all of this stuff, he says it with no sense of accountability at all. Well, why would he need to? Because He's it's Trump. well, that's because it's it's the mark of a billionaire. It's mm-hmm. somebody who's lived that entire life, and so there's no accountability for anything that he says or anything that he does because he can always find a way out of it. And when you're in the role of president of the United States, you can't find a way out of it. Because well, you, no, you will have that accountability. What I was going to say is he's talking all this stuff now, which is basically what America wants to hear. Yeah. But he's going to get in office and hide, hide under the desk and cry under a blankie. Well, I don't think that would actually happen because his ego is too big for that. He should do that. But nobody would know because he's locked in his office alone. <laughs> well, you and I both know a, a billionaire that is very accountable to himself and everybody else, Ernie. Yeah, but he is also smart enough to know that, you know, he knows his limitations and he knows, like, where his comfort zone is. And he's friends with Trump and he's had Trump in for fundraisers. And But, uh, you know, I've heard him give interviews, Ernie has, where he said, you know, hey, I wish him luck, but I'm not even sure he knows what he's doing. Yeah. My favorite billionaire is Mark Cuban. It's just because you like, uh, you, you like Shark Tank? I do like Shark Tank, but he's brilliant. 
Well, and he's also been smart enough in all of his ventures to, first of all, diversify, but he's also doing things that he wants to make things better for people. Granted, you know, high-definition TV doesn't really make things better for people, but it it makes it pretty awesome when you're watching a football game. Well, yeah, but, I mean, everything else he's done, he does a lot of good stuff. And there's a lot that does, and Trump does a lot of good stuff, too, that just gets overlooked because of his personality and who he is. I think being out in the public or... Yeah, in the public eye at least, and making statements and hearing all all that stuff, you um you deal with the media too. It twists a lot of what's said. So, I think no matter what, you're gonna have people that love you and hate you. And I'm looking. I'm just watching the uh, Twitter feed, which you can uh, talk to us during the show on Twitter using the hashtag Spooky Live if you choose to do so. But I'm waiting for somebody to tweet and be like, "Why are you guys talking about politics? I thought this right. was a paranormal show." Uh, and it is. It is a paranormal show. That's what we talk about here each and every Saturday night. But, you know, sometimes there are topics that come up. And, and one of the things that we discussed last week, Stephanie, was the idea that uh, JFK, mm-hmm. 10 days before the assassination, was asking to have all the information released about UFOs and to share it with the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that always comes up with these candidates now because you have all this alternative media out there, this alternative press that gets credentialed to these rallies, and they'll ask questions about things like UFO dis- disclosure. Mm-hmm. And uh, Obama was asked about it. Obama said that he would look into it. We don't know if he did or he didn't. I think that's a safe answer. And we know for a fact that Clinton looked into it. Bill Clinton looked into it. So does that mean that if Hillary gets elected that she's going to pursue it as well? I actually think she couldn't couldn't care less. Um, Just my opinion. But I think that was kind of just like Bill Clinton's like, hey, man, I'm president now. they got to tell me if I ask. And that's what he was kind of looking for. Did you ever see National Treasure? I did. The one with the book? Yes. It's the coolest thing ever. It's too bad. It's not true. How do you know? It's a Disney movie. Well, I got to hang out with presidential candidate Ed Baker up at the um, Experiences Speak conference and stuff like that. And he made it a point to come to a UFO conference just to see what it was all about. I mean, Paul Hellyer has been out at a lot of these UFO events up in Canada. I mean, he's been pushing for more disclosure about it. So, I mean, it's they they can ask for it all they want, but it's not up to them to get it, unfortunately. I yeah. mean, you would think that... That, you know, the president has all the clearance in the world or the prime minister, if it's Canada, whoever. You know, you would think that they would have all the uh, access to this information, but they want to need to know about a lot of things as well. So mm-hmm. That's one of the conversations I was having with Grant Cameron, who was up there. And then, as you know, Grant spent many years studying what presidents and UFO connections had. Mm-hmm. And his viewpoint was, yeah, th- this is something that's above their pay grade, as he put it. And, you know. When you start poking, they poke back. Um, Meaning the people that control the information. And I know, Stephanie, you've researched a lot of things with Freedom of Information Act releases anyway. And what do you get? You get a piece of paper with a bunch of black lines through it anyway. Mm -hmm. It's so redacted, you can't even make any sense out of what you get. Right. But that stuff fascinates me anyways. I love history. I love anything to do with that stuff. Um, I told you the other day I was watching that show, the new one on Hitler on the History Channel, and it's all based off of declassified FBI files that they're now discovering that um, the FBI, CIA, everybody was chasing Hitler um, anywhere from days after his supposed death to years afterwards in his sighting. So we all know, I mean, the information's out there. You have to be 
privy to it, because if everybody knew anything, it would just be mass hysteria on a daily basis. Well, I mean, I, I like kind of living in an insulated world to some degree. Like, there's well, I stuff, think everybody does. There's stuff that I don't want to know. Uh, I do, but... Well, I mean, there's just things that I don't want. Like, I, I don't I don't care if the president's having affairs. I don't need to know that. No, I don't care you know, about that either. I don't need to know all of, you know, JFK's proclivities or, or Clinton's nope. or any of that. I don't care about that. But if it's something that affects humankind, then I kind of want to know about it. I don't even care if it affects it. If it's cool and then it's interesting, I want to know about it. If If there's... Because a lot of these things that they hide, they hide for strategic purposes and... A lot of, you know, they, they feel like they have some sort of tactical advantage to hide this information, but it's things that could bring mankind together. So if there really is a crash ship in Roswell, New Mexico, for example, mm. and they have a being that was part of this and whatever, it's alive, it's dead, it's been reincarnated as Commander Sonny Cito, whatever you want to believe, it's all up to, to you to believe what you want. But if all of that is true and they know it, then that information could change the world. Just coming out and saying it could change the world. No, because you're always going to have those people that doubt it until they see it on their own. Um, and but, you're also going to have the people that don't think like us that will, you know, spin in circles and run into a wall because they don't know what to do. I, f- I think, though, you would still have a, a little bit more harmony than you do now. I'm going to vote no. I'm going to step on that. Uh, humanity has become like, so cynical, you know. Like, Listen. Not even that, but it's like fear of the unknown. Like, they don't know how to handle or process that information. I'm telling you right now, if somebody told me aliens are real and they, they showed up at my doorstep tomorrow, I would run in circles and run into a wall. I don't. It makes me uncomfortable. But they would have to sit me down and have a serious conversation with me and tell me what they're here for and explain everything to me because that's the type of person I am. You're going to have people that... What's, Careful what you wish for. I'm not wishing for anything. I'm I'm not. I'm just telling you that that's exactly how I would respond. But you have, like, the movie Independence Day, was it, um, where people have those stupid signs like, aliens land here, we love you. How do you know you love them? Well, I think you're just hedging your bets. Right. You're so saying you think if uh... you, you're going to have those people, you're going to have people that are in ultimate denial until they see it themselves. You're going to have people that are angry and have people that are f- afraid of things. Listen, I think that if a UFO landed right now on the White House lawn, it would have a huge impact on the world as long as the aliens didn't try to climb the fence or throw an apple core over it. Oh. Because that's they wrap themselves in a uh, uh, American flag and go over the side. Actually, if if aliens landed on. The White House lawn, probably the only one covering it would be Alex Jones, and then even I wouldn't believe it. But we do have uh, open lines tonight is, is kind of the idea, because I've been having a lot of people that have been asking me, you know, when can we call in and share Anytime. some of our paranormal experiences? Exactly. Any any show you can. Mm-hmm. I mean, we always try to make sure that we have some time reserved for it. The problem is, is, you know, people will call in in the middle of while we're talking to a guest about a certain topic or a certain case yeah, or totally whatever. off topic. And then right. they try and just steer the discussion away, so we try to avoid yeah. that. But every once in a while, we, we try to set aside a show where it's just you calling in and sharing these experiences. And already some of the stories that I saw people sharing on social media mm-hmm. were uh, were pretty impressive. So hopefully those people call in and share those with the audience because, yes, I could read the messages on, on over the air, but it's not the same as you calling in and sharing it yourself and us being able to ask you questions. So the numbers to call in are 508 996 And we already have a call on the line, so let's go right to that. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Can we have your name? Hi, this is Matt from Minnesota. Hey, Matt. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We are spooktacular. Do you have a, a story, an experience you'd like to share? Actually, I don't have an experience. I was just um, wondering if you guys had any uh, opinions on the latest uh, 
uh, alleged revelation with the D.B. Cooper case, this family in Michigan who, who thought that maybe their father, who I think was a grocery store manager, apparently looked a lot like uh, some of the images of D.B. Cooper. It seems like something like this services every few years, but with the anniversary of the hijacking this week, of course, it's in the news. I've always found the case interesting. I'm just curious if you guys have any opinions on that. I'll just uh, hang up and listen if you want to. Chat. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, thank you. And that, right. you know, the the DB Cooper story is one that we haven't really covered a lot, but it's a mystery that has been going on now uh, since the seventies. And and this is something that it makes perfect sense if you think about it. If you are going to jump out of a plane with all that money, what are you going to do? You're going to try and hide in plain sight, right? You're not going to take off because people are going to expect that you're going to the remote corners of the earth, or people are going to think that you know you're you're in Tahiti for the rest of your life, and you hide in plain sight in Michigan in a grocery, as a grocery store clerk, and it, I don't know, that would make total sense to me. You just you wouldn't really want to work too hard. Well, number two, can you really spend the money? Because are you going to take the risk that it was, you know, marked money that they gave them? Right. Now, we already know that the uh, government recorded all of the serial numbers on the bills because they did find it was like... Like fifteen hundred dollars or something. I can't. I can't remember the exact amount, but uh, a, a number of bills were uh, recovered on a beach, in uh, I believe it was a river in Washington where he jumped out over. So we know that they did record all of the serial numbers on the bills. So you, you got to take into account that that money had to have been marked. How are you going to spend it? It was uh, it was two packets of one hundred twenty dollar bills, and a third packet of ninety. So that's uh, what was actually found uh, by a, by a young boy. So I hope we got some. I hope we got to keep some of that. Yeah, there were twenties, right? Uh, I think. Let me see what it just said there. It wasn't all that much, but they definitely could attribute it to uh, the money. Two packs that- of one hundred twenty dollar bills each. Yep, and, uh, and then a third packet that had ninety in it. So, but I mean, we're talking about something that's been going on now since 1971. People still haven't, you know, they, they they haven't really come any closer to finding him over the years. And you see all these specials on television all the time. Who was D.B. Cooper? The search for D.B. Cooper. Where is D.B. Cooper? But the bottom line is, if you haven't found him now, I mean, then again, I say that, and they just found those Gardner Art Museum heist paintings. So, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I, I guess... Uh, I know they did have a couple of very strong suspects. One of them was a, um, I think he was actually a former ranger. So he was a, he had been, you know, paratrooper trained and stuff like that. And uh, if I'm, memory serves, he was also arrested and served time in another prison. And he had connections to something else connected with the crime. Uh, this is going back 20 years ago. I remember reading it, but... Uh, he was the most likely suspect. I mean, if you look at the the, the photo, the composite drawing of Cooper, yep. he really looks like any you know straight laced looking person in 1971. So it's not. I don't. I've never felt like there was enough definitive physical characteristics in that composite to really get an idea of who he might have been. Uh, and I think part of that is you're in a situation where people don't know what's going on. You know, you're being held for ransom. You're being held hostage here in this plane, and it's not like today where these things happen enough with enough frequency over the past 
you know, 30 years where we say to ourselves, okay, let's try and make sure we get a good look at them. And, and to the point where, you know, hijackers make sure that you can't get a good look at them. Yeah. You know, now, whereas, uh, you know, back then it was such a strange and unique experience. These people were probably terrified. You know, they had no idea what was going on. They're not paying full enough attention. Well, yeah, obviously pre-9-11, somebody doing something like this, they just assume, you know, this is for money or for right. political or, you know. Whatever. I believe the first person to bring a bomb onto a plane was Sonny Bono. So until then, nobody was really concerned. Oh. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> He's sweating profusely the whole time. Uh, that was a good movie. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, if he did decide to hide in plain sight, I mean, how much more small-town, everyday America can you get than running a grocery store? Nobody ever suspects the grocery store man. Basically, he became Mr. Hooper. And nobody ever thought Mr. Hooper was a bad guy. Stephanie's looking at me like, I have no idea who Mr. Hooper is. It was a crushing moment of American history, Stephanie. I'm sorry. You know the store on Sesame Street? Yes. That's Hooper's store. Okay. All right. I know who you're talking about. Mr. Hooper was the kindly old gentleman that used to run the store. Yes, and they did a whole episode when he died. He died, Mm -hmm. and we as a nation had to go through it. Right. It was was tough being a kid in the 80s because we had to deal with the death of of, uh, Mr. Hooper. We had to deal with, the, you know, watching the Challenger incident live in school. Yep. I mean, we, we were dealt. It was rough. Yeah, we, we had to deal with some serious, you know, fake, but also real. You know, the, the guy who played Mr. Hooper died, and that's why they did that episode. So it wasn't like, you know, they just said, hey, well, let's kill off a Sesame Street character. Because I'm still waiting for them to do that with Elmo. <laughs> Actually, I think they probably have by now, right? They can't still have Elmo. You, you have a young child. They still have Elmo? Yeah. Is I don't really think there's any new episodes either, but I could be wrong. I don't watch well, they, it. But. They're currently not in production, but they will be picking up in production via HBO. HBO is going to take over okay. Sesame Street. They've, they've taken it out from, from PBS. But so. yeah, he's, he's never not been on the show. Hmm. Oh, yeah, he has, but, you know, back in the early 70s. Oh, yeah, before they had an album, you mean. But. No, but I'm saying when he showed up, he hasn't left. Oh, okay. Like they didn't suspend Elmo for the whole, uh, yeah, the whole thing that happened. You guys love to talk about this on the air. I don't get it. I don't know. And every time I do, I get into trouble. I know. Every time I do, some, some there'll be some old lady that calls up and says, "I don't understand." You need to stop talking about Elmo like that. It's I not never, Elmo's fault. I never said Elmo was doing inappropriate things with underage boys. Kevin Clash was. <sighs> Probably doing the Elmo voice while he was doing it. I don't know. I really didn't need that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, the phone lines are open if you would like to call in with your paranormal experience. 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. And this is uh, one of those nights where, you know, we, we never know where the conversation is going to go. We never know where you're going to take us. So take us on a ride. Take us on a journey. We would love to hear some of the things that have happened to you because, we are at the point now, I've, I was realizing this the other day, where I don't think we get to do anything really paranormal anymore outside of Legend Trips. I know you've gone a couple times with Andy, but your schedule's so busy all the time, and you yeah, know, being I mean, a mom and everything now. and I'm busy, but I, that's what I do, too. So, But you're doing it in, the, in a different fashion. You know, you're not just going out and 
Not for the love of it, no. No, you're doing it because somebody's requested that you yes. come and they've asked for your help. Right. Uh, same thing with you, Monies. If you're going out, you're going out usually because somebody has either asked you to come and check something out or asked you to come along with them while they're checking something out. I mean, we... we or they report something happening. Yeah. We just haven't had the chance. I mean, there was a time when we used to just say, hey, let's go stop here on the way to the show or what are you guys doing Thursday? Let's go over to Lizzie Borden's house. You know, we, we just don't get to do that stuff anymore and... Not collectively as a group, no. Certainly not, no. I mean, I can't remember the last time when, when we all just said, hey, let's go do this. We will when the ghost art comes in, which don't know when that's going to be, but it should be soon. They've started the mass production of them, so i got to assume we'll be getting one sooner or later. And then, of course, we'll take it out and we'll try it out. But uh, I really feel like, you know, we're we're we've almost reached the point where we're like the boomer siasins of the paranormal, you know the uh, we, you know we're the people that sit on the panel and talk about the games instead of the ones that are actually out there playing the games, you know like that's kind of like what it is like we're we're the the like mystery science theater two thousand. No, no, we're just more like we're the analysts, you know, like we're the we're the pregame show for the NFL, where the you have a bunch okay. of old players and coaches that break it all down and talk about it and go over it all, but they haven't stepped onto the field in a long time, and I feel like that has its advantages and its disadvantages because we can kind of pull ourselves away from things and see the forest for the trees, but at the same time, you're lacking that, you know, boots on the ground out mm-hmm. there, getting your hands dirty aspect of it as well. So that's something that I think that, you know, over the winter, if we have a little time, we should probably try to remedy. And I think we will, naturally, anyway. Yeah, I have a lot of projects that I put on hold that I need to start up during the winter, so maybe I'll take you along with me. I just feel like, uh, you know, if we... We need to get some more legend trips on the books, that's for sure. We need to get some more events planned. Tell Jeff to get on it. Uh, he's busy. His calendar is ridiculous. And I was like, don't you unbook yourself for legend trips, man, because you've got people that depend on this mm-hmm. stuff. You've got people that are looking forward to this and waiting for it. So, But, you know, it's good that he's in such high demand. But yes. at the same time, you've you got to make some room. Mm-hmm. We're already talking about when we're going to have Oddfest, and we're talking about possibly having to have it on a weeknight. Because That's okay. he has no weekends open. That's what I said. I said, nobody ever really gets drunk at Oddfest. Right. Nobody goes over the top. We'll do it on a Thursday. That's fine. You know, nothing wrong with that. I don't have to work in the morning. So we will. Yeah, you don't, but the rest of us do. <laughs> so we'll, we'll try and come up with a plan for that real soon and let you know about it. All right, we do have a call on the line. Again, 508-996-0500, If you would like to share some of your paranormal experiences with us, we would love to hear them. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you? Hey, Tim. It's Dave Francis. How you doing? Man? Hey, Dave. What's going on? Uh, not too much. I thought I'd uh, share because I never get to talk about this stuff too much. I always get strange looks from people when I talk about these things. <laughs> That's well, true. We like you, so you can talk all you want. <laughs> yeah, you guys don't give me strange looks all the time. Not all the time, just sometimes. Just sometimes. Not all the time, yeah. Like when, when we came up to us with a full head of hair, we're like, what's this all about? <laughs> yep, yeah, that threw me off. I'm going to... I'm going to throw that out there. It's throwing me off, too, because I haven't styled it in few years because I had that buzz cut. Yep. So now it's doing things that I don't want it to do. I looked at Tim and I said, holy crap, Dave has hair. <laughs> we're, we're, we're all just thinking to ourselves, did he get a promotional deal with Dr. Robert Leonard or something? <laughs> yeah. We didn't realize that the buzz cut was by choice. Yeah. I've been brainwashed by LB from the Bruins. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, uh, what's on your mind tonight? All right. I'm going to go back in time a little bit. I was uh, a BMX bike rider with my buddy growing up, and we had like a little bike trail behind the house, 
where we used to go and ride the bikes. The older kids had kind of made it with dirt bikes, and uh, we'd ride the BMX bikes up there all the time. And this one afternoon we were riding, and we were up there for a couple hours. We'd, we'd stop occasionally, and at this one point we'd stopped, and we were just sitting on the bikes talking, and we were in the middle of the woods. And clear as a bell out of nowhere, I heard someone say my name, just go, Dave, like right next to my head. And I looked over my buddy, and he looked at me at the same time. And um, I'll tell you, that honestly is probably the, the, the craziest, spookiest thing I've ever had happen to me. Well, because you're not looking for that. Yeah, and I, I knew growing up, like I, I think everybody does. You think you hear somebody call your name once or twice, and it's just, you know, what it is. So I didn't really, I didn't think of it, like anything of it at first. And then uh, I just happened to look at him, and the look on his face was just this look of terror. Like, did you hear that? And there was absolutely nobody around. And that was, like, one of the first things that's ever happened that got me really interested. I think I, it was at that point I started taking out every book that said ghosts on it in the library. You know, it was... But now you've been researching it for so long. Has that ever happened to you again? Um, no, honestly. I, I'm the, the person now that I've gotten into it, and nothing happens to me, really. Not Nothing spectacular, anyways. Um, nothing that's really made me kind of jump back. Um, I know uh, one other time, and it... This didn't happen to me, but I was there um, at Stone's Public House. I was conducting a tour. We had uh, Kyle Johnson had come up, and there was a team from Connecticut, and we had uh, a couple of other people there. And I was kind of in charge of everything, so I was staying at the uh, at like the ground zero area up on the second floor while other people were conducting their tours and stuff. And one of the guys that was working with me, um, his name was Dave, um, he was down in the basement with the team from Connecticut. And they were down there for a while, and I was watching the monitors, and I felt a tap on my shoulder, and I looked around, and he was standing behind me, and his face was just white as a sheet. And I said, what's up? And he said, I'm done. I am all done. I don't need to do this anymore. So I got up, and I was talking with him. I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, I was in the basement, and... In the basement, there's an air duct that runs from one end of the basement to the other. It's kind of like a little walkway, but it's real narrow and it's real short. It's probably about two and a half feet off the floor, so you got to kind of really duck down to get through it. And he said when he was coming back towards the staircase to bring them upstairs, he was ducked down under this this air duct, and a rock flew up off the floor, and it got him on the head. So he lifted up his hat, and he had a gash on his forehead. And um, there was no way to explain it. I went down into the basement. Of course, there's a dirt floor, and there's rocks all over the place. Um, But I thought maybe he hit his head on a pipe. And for him to have hit his head in an area that's maybe two and a half feet, maybe three feet high, he would have had to turn his head upwards and and really slam it on the flat bottom of this air duct. I mean, there was was just nothing there. Mm -hmm. And... uh, of course, being me and my brother had gone down there with me, the two of us down there, like, can you hit me with a rock? Can you hit me with a rock? And <laughs> right. <laughs> nothing happened. Um, and it was one of the only areas we didn't have a camera set up in either, so never really get to see it. But to this day, as far as I know, I've tried to contact him. He's, he is done. Well, I mean, yeah, if I remember right, wasn't that one of the people that, when uh, we were putting together the Haunted Objects book, wasn't that one of the people that you would suggest that I talk to and then there was no no conversation that was going to happen? Yeah, that might have been it, it, the uh, the gentleman from Ashland. Yeah, I think that might have been him. 
people, uh, certainly, I mean, those are the type of experiences that when you have them, you know, it can be a game changer and a life changer for you. Yeah, and, you know, I, I've seen people with it, they're like that. It, it changes the game so much they don't want to stay involved. Um, and I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I would love for it to happen. I mean, I'm sure it would really kind of grab me, but it made me stop and think. But it, that's the kind of thing I'd like to have happen so I know hey, I, I need to focus more on this area. I need to see what's causing this to happen. And yeah, and I think that, you know, the more, sometimes when you're not aware of it and you're not drawn into it, what will happen is you'll have something like hearing your name called out to draw you into it, and it just started you on the path. And now the path doesn't have to jump out and grab you anymore. You know, it you know, doesn't. And, yeah, you know, you make a good point. I was at um, the Charlemagne in one time with another group, and we were in the upstairs area, and one of the women that was with, doing the tour, she was on the ride up. She saw ghosts everywhere. I mean, literally, they were crossing the street. They were waving off the porches at us and everything. And when we were doing our walk through the place with her, she was seeing them everywhere again. And I was with this member of this other team. I'm going, oh, my God, she just, we don't need to do anything. She's finding them all for them. And we were up over the bar, and it was old guest rooms, and there was no electricity. And as we were coming down the hall, she was insistent that there was a like a Civil War soldier standing in the hallway. And I just was kind of shrugging it off and not paying attention. And all of a sudden, my right hand, which was in the middle of the hallway, just totally twitched. Like, I'm, I don't know if you've ever grabbed an electric fence by accident. No, thankfully. <laughs> How about it, on it purpose? Kind of like that. It was just this really quick spasm. My, my hand, it was like I got shocked. And I dropped the, uh, the the thermometer I was holding, and the first thing I thought was stroke. I'm having a stroke. I'm going to die. And I told the girl I was with, I said, I got to go. I got to get out of here for a second. And uh, my hand was tingling for a good 10 minutes afterwards. But, um, of course, I was fine. Um, I went back upstairs. Now I was getting really, like, what was going on? What am I doing? You know, did I hit a live wire? Are there some wires in here that I didn't see? And that's what I kept thinking. I stepped on maybe a nail and I hit something. And, but it, my hand was in the middle of the, the hallway, and I wasn't looking for anything at that point. You know, I was right. actually very skeptical at that point that stuff was happening. And uh, it was interesting. It was neat. I've, I've never had anything like that happen since. Hmm. Well, I mean, uh, you certainly do go out there enough to, to look for it. We always throw you out there <laughs> at least once a year. <laughs> So uh, maybe I'll take the abuse, man. If you get something that's violent, anything, yeah, I'll do it. You know, well, we'll keep that in mind. And of course, everybody always says, you know, I'll, I'll take the abuse, but then you know, when you get a succubus, make sure you give me a call too. Yeah, well, yeah. So yeah, I'll my wife know that. All right. Oh well, th thank you for the call, Dave, and uh, you have a great night. You too, guys. Happy holidays. You, you too. too. Bye. Yeah, bye. 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. If you have a paranormal experience that you would like to share with us, it's kind of a, you know, we, we call this, a, you know, a paranormal therapy. A paranormal, you know, we, we've done this before as like the paranormal support group where, you know, we want to be your chance to kind of get things off your chest and we don't judge. I feel like we're one of those weird late night talk shows, but we just discuss paranormal problems. Well, we're supposed to be one of those weird late night no, talk like, shows. no, like weird, uh... You know, romantic music in between. Like we need, we need the Doctor Drew of the paranormal. That's uh, that would be a good. That's that's gonna be I my. I feel like niche. we're like old school light rock 105. Only we're paranormal. We're, we're the paranormal Delilah right now. Yes. Oh. Like man. yes. Oh, here's one. Here's one going out to that ghost. That one time <laughs> I remember that. You know, like I I can't stand Delilah. Sorry, anybody out there that's a fan, I can't stand her. 
I just think that it's so. But we all listen to her at one point in our lives. Nope. You, yes. You I mean, I've I've heard it, but I don't choose to listen. I mean, I've listened to mock it, but that's I don't know. I just feel like that's terrible. Like, and that's also like, you know what the problem is? Not to hold up the callers, but the problem with that Delilah show is it's on the air at a time when the people who are lonely could actually be out meeting other people and dating and having fun. But instead, they're sitting at home listening to the radio, crying, listening to Bette Midler songs. You could have just gone out instead and, you know, it's met true, somebody. But I, I did listen to it, but I was just, I wasn't in that frame of mind. I just wanted to listen to it. Well, you're, you're listening to it and judging the people and. Thing about, oh, what a loser. No. That's what I do. Maybe. Good evening. You're next on Spooky South Coast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, we are spectacular. Uh, you have a story that you'd like to share with us? Uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is actually Rocco from uh, Facebook. Hey, Rocco. Great to, great to hear from you. Yeah, um, it's funny, uh, you know, how, like, um, you were just talking about, you know, you know, instead of, you know, going out, people like to just sit at home and, you know, sit in front of a TV and, you know, listen to a bunch of what I like to call is a lot of false stuff, you know, being put out through, you know, the media. And, um, but with me, I've been having paranormal experiences since I was five years old. Wow. Um, I actually have started regaining my memory from what had happened to me when I was younger. Um, I was involved in some covert um, projects such as what uh, I'm considered a new-aged uh, Montauk boy because um, Montauk did not end in the 80s. It went into the 90s. Um, and, you know, and I believe that it's still going on. Something's still going on. Somewhere, I grew up on Long Island. You have Brookhaven Laboratory. Um, you have all different kinds of things going on out here. Basically, what I call this is is one great big experiment. Um, you know, the stuff that goes on is just, it's, it's, it's crazy. I um, also believe that there could also be a little bit of a spiritual um, a thing going with this. But it, could, it could be one of those areas where there's, a, you know, like we talk about the Bridgewater Triangle here. It could be one of those type of, uh, you know, places where the veil's a little thinner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of demonic entities. Um, like Andy Pirro said, um, which is the Project Superman, which if you're interested, uh, you can look it up on YouTube. It's a pretty long interview, but... Uh, basically, he says in the interview, he says, Christ is the way um, to fight against um, these negative entities um, that try to attach themselves to you and um, cause you to do what you're doing. On the other hand, um, basically, with the Montauk Project, they wanted to create man-made machines. They wanted to create, you know, like I have a friend, he swears up and down that an older guy, too, he was, swears he was a part of it in, like, the 70s. And he says that, you know, soon we're going to be nukes and all super soldiers um, are going to be activated and you're going to have to fight. And, um, and so that's what you've been prepared for? 
I'm always prepared. Um, I'm always looking over my shoulder. I'm always targeted, um, not only by, um, you know, in the physical form as far as with the satellites. Like, I can be, like, next to certain electronics, and I will get electric shocks that go through my body. Um, I get really, really bad migraines. Um, I see... um, like, for instance, I can stare at a wall for a long period of time, and I see it start to see um, colors and shapes. Um, I have um, very, very, really bad PTSD behind this um, suicidal thoughts. Um, you know, it, it's, it's disgusting. It's disgraceful. Um, it's not something... And there's a lot of people out there that, that, that you know, oh, I, I would love to be, you know what I mean? Like, they want they want the, you know, the fame out of it. Right. I don't like what I am. I don't like what I went through. I, I, I don't like waking up and looking at a reality that if I go into the street and I try to talk to somebody about this, they look at me and they say, oh, he's crazy. He needs to go into a psych ward. No, I'm sorry. You're crazy because, you know, we've been mind-controlled for so long that, you know, we're so used to it, you know. And that's why when people awake, they start to see. They start to see, like, yeah, maybe these people have – there's some truth in this. I mean, what are some of the other abilities that you've you've gained as being part of this program? No, I've been – I've caught myself um, moving objects with my mind. Um, I've, um, also, um, you know, uh, t- telepathy, mental telepathy. Um, With just anybody I, or other people who were part of this program? Well, I've not, I, well, I ran into a gentleman, um, that was involved in the 70s. I'm not going to put his name out there. Sure. But he told me through Facebook, he said to me, he said, look, I know you were involved I worked with you, and we have got to get together. So I kind of freaked out about that, you know. I'm like, is this dude crazy? You know, you know, is he like a rapo? I, you know, you never know. You know what I mean? Because people are conspiracy theorists, and you get a, you know, an unhealthy obsession, and you know, you start believing something that's not. But. I mean, it's just like I I came up with, like, information, like, that I heard on TV that it came up into my mind. Like, when I started to, you know, when I finally woke up and realized, which it was about two years, or right when Montauk Chronicles was, like, about to come out, um, I woke up one morning, and I didn't know that the movie was coming out. I didn't know any of this. But I visioned a radar tower, a rusty radar tower, somewhere on a long stretch with long, with wooded areas on both sides of the road. And I get on the internet and I go to like, I think it was Facebook, some kind of group, and I click on a link and it brings me to the signatures, Montauk Chronicles. So I said, okay, let me check it out. I press play, and that same exact radar tower that I woke up from, you know, seeing in my dream 
was right there in front of my eyes on the computer screen. Well, I, I hate to cut you off, but we have to take a break for the news. But uh, I think somewhere down the line, let's do an episode on this and, and really get in-depth into some of your experiences that you've gone through. Definitely. All right, I'll reach out to you. I know how to get a hold of you now, and uh, and thank you for getting on board with the show. Not a problem. All right, you take care. You too. Talk to you soon. And uh, that about does it for the first hour of the show. Uh, but we still have plenty of time to talk with you. If you want to call in and share some of your experiences, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. And, of course, you can find those numbers right on the screen on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. They're also right there on SpookySouthCoast.com as well directly uh, so that you can call in at any time during the show. There is a caller on hold. If you can just hang on, we will get to you right at the start of the next hour. Uh, but we do have to take a break for the news, uh, so we will do that coming up. And then in the second hour, we'll also play that interview with presidential candidate Vermin Supreme and find out what he's all about as well. So stay tuned for more after the news here on Spooky South Coast. Stephanie Burke and science advisor Matt Moniz. And you can follow along with all of our crazy in-studio antics on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. If you just click on the Spooky TV tab at the top of the page, it will take you to, you have a couple of different options of how you can watch the show, but if you hit, if you click watch and chat, you can actually see what's going on here in the studio during the show. We have multiple cameras all across the Spooky studio. And uh, you can also see on there as well, the Twitter feed for everybody that uses the hashtag SpookyLive. And that's what you want to do when talking about the show on social media. Use the hashtag SpookyLive, and then we'll be able to see it show up here, and we can respond to any questions or any comments that you may make. You can also tweet us directly, at SpookySC. And if you want to catch me on Twitter, it's at Tim Weisberg. You can catch Stephanie at Work at Burke. And you can basically, you're better off just trying to find Moniz in person and talk to him. We can He's, give you his address. We, we will actually give you the <laughs> drone coordinates. There you go. <laughs> you you can get there by boat if you want pull. to. Yeah, <laughs> you can see he's already got the plan in place of how to how to uh, you know counteract any of those. Uh, but that that stuff's going to be driving everybody crazy in the paranormal is when Amazon starts using that drone service to deliver everything. You know, all the people that are paranoid now about the black helicopters. Imagine how oh paranoid God. they're going to be about all the drones that are following them around. Like, no, no, these drones are this tall, and they're carrying a box with a smiley face on it. You don't have anything to worry about. It's weird. So, yeah, I don't think it'll actually happen, but that's that's a topic for a whole, whole different day. Uh, we are actually <laughs> throwing open the phone lines and talking with you about your paranormal experiences at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. And we have a couple of calls on the line right now, but we still have room for you as well if you would like to call in and share. And then a little bit later on this hour, we'll play the interview with Vermin Supreme, who is running for president. Uh, and uh, certainly on a platform that I think we can all get behind, brushing our teeth and riding ponies. It sounds like something that you were promised when you were a kid, Stephanie, that if you if you brush your teeth, you can have a pony. I never wanted a pony. I wanted a ferret. 
They were legal already by the time you were a kid, right? Yeah. See, when I was younger, they were illegal, but my dad had a cousin that still raised them. So we thought he was the coolest because not only did he have ferrets, but he was kind of doing it, you know, he was an outlaw. Yeah. So. I really, I wanted one really, really bad. And then when you grew up and you wanted one, you're like, oh, wait a minute, it's just a big weasel. I, want I a still weasel wanted one. My house. Even in high school, my friend had one. I thought they were really cool, but they stunk really bad. So I just kind of got over it. I had a cat, so that worked out. No, I'm glad your cat didn't stink really bad. Nope. All right, let's go right back into the phone calls. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Good evening. Um, I have a question as to whether or not you're familiar with a, a location. Sure. It's, uh, it, it, as I remember it from the 70s and 80s, maybe 90s, it was a white raised ranch house right on the side of 195, about half a mile to a mile east of uh, White's on, on the Watapa. Yep. Yeah, we've uh, we've actually talked about this uh, fr- pretty frequently on the show, and with a lot of people uh, out and about, because this is probably the South Coast haunt that comes up the most out of anything. You know, even more than Lizzie Borden's, people talk about the house the house near Whites, and the the story. You know, it's one. I always like to use this this line from the movie "The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance." Uh, the reporter says, "You know, when legend becomes fact, print the legend." And that's kind of what's developed around this house is it's the legend has become way more interesting than the actual facts of the house. In reality, it turns out that it was actually just uh, it was a house, but it was being used as a storage facility for for a funeral home down the street. And so they were they were keeping the caskets in there and they were keeping all the, you know, the extra embalming equipment in there. And so kids would go and they'd break into this house and they'd see all these coffins in the living room and, oh, my God, this house is haunted. And the cemetery next to it didn't help. Right. So it was all really just kind of one of those things that became a legend. But then again, you talk to some of the Westport police and they tell you that they used mm-hmm. to get all kinds of calls about that place. And they would go over there and weird things would happen. They would sit in the driveway and see weird things going on in that house. So... It's hard to tell where the stories, you know, where, where the truth starts and ends because uh, it seems like it, it's one of those things where sometimes if you think a place is haunted, it can become haunted. Okay. Thank you very much. Hey, no You're problem. Yep. I, w- I wish it was still there so that we could, you know, like, really kind of get to the bottom well, of it. Well, I always but... wonder because obviously they knocked it down because of all the vandalism and everything else, but they have that, like, storage facility, like, warehouse now thing that's um, in its place, but... We all know you remove the building. It doesn't necessarily necessarily remove the in- – I can't even talk. Right. I apologize to everybody. I got hit in the head before I came on the show tonight. So and That's what happens when you eat things on the air. If you do it again, I'll hit you twice. <laughs> I got hit in the head with an ironing board trying to iron. So That's I'm why like, I see you make fun of me all the time for my wrinkled shirt. It wasn't even my shirt. But that's, that's why I've never, I've never once been injured by an ironing board. In all my years of wearing clothes. The weirdest stuff happens to me. That is true. It it just does. If it's going to happen, it happens to me. So I apologize. But I'm trying to say maybe the warehouse has energy. Maybe there's stories that Mm -hmm. are attached to that. So it would be cool to see if we can find somebody that's, you know, familiar with it, works there, you know, has stuff there, and if they've ever experienced anything. Back in the early 90s when I went and looked at the place, I found out that the original owners, after... They bought it. They wound up letting it, basically, uh, letting the mortgage fall behind, and it basically got repossessed. And that's how the uh, funeral home wound up getting it for such a cheap price, and that's why they used it as a uh, was it storage. Was it repossessed or just possessed? 
<laughs> could could be both. A little bit of both. <laughs> All right. Well, we have some more calls on the line. Uh, again, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. Good evening. You're next on Spooky South Coast. What's going on, guys? How are you doing tonight? Good. How are you? I'm wonderful on yourself. Uh, we are spooktacular, as we say here. Very good. Very good. Something that uh, you guys were kind of comparing yourselves to... Uh, Boomer Esiason earlier. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, Boomer's way better at his job than I am at mine, but yeah. I'm not saying anything, but if I had to compare you guys to, like, the local experts on the thing, I think I would feel more confident in calling you guys, like, the local Jedi Council. I like that better. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, that's no giving us way more, wi- you know, way wiser than we really are. Matt Costa oh, does now. look like Yoda. Whoa. <laughs> You know, I've never seen him, so I don't know. Even more. I wouldn't call him a Yoda. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't. I was just having this conversation with my husband before I left. That um, I don't know if you guys saw the picture I put up on I Facebook did, yes. um, of my daughter with a stuffed Chewbacca, but um, I may have a Star Wars nerd problem. And I was trying to put up an emoji, but they don't make lightsaber emojis, but they have the Spock hand. I think that's that's a little. I think it's all just waiting for the big launch. There's going to be some big emoji Maybe. release for Star Wars. There's got to be. But I was having a problem, like, putting up a heart emoji. Do I pick green, do I pick red, or do I pick blue? Because how do you pick a lightsaber color? How do you choose between Yoda well, and Obi-Wan? Uh, supposedly, when you make your lightsaber and you put the crystals into it, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's it's supposed to be whatever color of how you channel the Force. Right. So you don't actually know until you power up the lightsaber for the first time what color it's going to be. I know. Unless you're Sith, then it's going to be red. Yeah. Of course. But when uh, when Yoda does it and when Obi-Wan does it, it's two colors. And if I had to pick one, I can't choose. Because how do you go against Obi or how do you go against Yoda? No. Uh, I don't know. You don't care about Star Wars. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> he just took... Tim just took, like, a, a paragraph out of my mind there. It was like, almost like he did a Jedi mind trick. I just explained to you exactly how lightsabers work, and I you're know, telling me that I don't care about Star Wars. Because you looked like you didn't want to discuss it. It's, that looks all good. It's, it's kind of because I care more about the Sith than I do the Jedi. Do you? Brendan's the same way. I'm a Darth Bane guy. Oh, boy. That's going back. Yeah, well, that's going back all the way to the original. I mean, mm-hmm. he's yes. he's the start of the rule of two. So, see, yes. you tell me I don't know anything about Star. You don't even know the rule of two, do you, I Stephanie? I might even love you more now. You don't know the rule more. of two. Leave what's what's the rule of two? I can't even talk straight right now. Right. You want me to explain stuff? We'll have a Star Wars fight tomorrow we when you're feeling a little tomorrow. bit better. Well, I don't know. Give me about a week at this right. point. <laughs> we'll do that. So, I mean, just anything else on your mind? I don't mean no, to cut you off. No, that's okay. Hey, anytime we talk about Star Wars, it's fine with me. Well, I think we're probably going to have to have a whole Star Wars show coming up uh, yes. on the verge of the release of the film. Yeah, I think we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to come up with some guests and, and plan something Star Wars related. It's going to be too big of a day not to not to have something related to it. So, Yeah, yeah. Um, you guys had said something earlier about the uh, um, um, UFOs and whatnot. And, you know, I think it's funny how Art Bell always puts it that he thinks that if a ship ever landed somewhere and someone came down the ramp, by the time the thing opened its mouth, it'd be so full of lead it wouldn't even matter. And that's a very real possibility. Yes. We, we might not wait to see if they come in peace. Certainly. No, you know, it's an interesting thing. Um, I called a couple of weeks ago and I talked about doing some investigating in the Freetown State Forest. Yes. Right. And um, I had actually went to Profile Rock today. And how, how'd it go? Went pretty good. Um, went 
went there, took a couple pictures. It's very interesting spot. It's almost like any time you look at that thing, it's staring at you. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you can see two or three different faces on there, no matter what, depending on what angle you're at. Um, I was at a, we went around to the back to see if we could actually climb up on top of the pile, but, you know, with all the rain today, it was kind of hard getting around most of the rocks. And um, uh, the person I was with saw something, I kind of saw something, and we felt something that was there, and probably about four or five minutes later, I got tapped on the lower back by something. No. What, what was it that you saw? I mean, was it a full-on vision or something out of the corner of your eye? A little bit of a mist. There was a black mist and there was a white mist. And then both of us were kind of standing, you know, maybe like two or three feet apart. And this was about, like I said, four or five minutes after we had seen a mist in the um, area around the rock. Um, and we both kind of felt like something was there, you know, kind of a goosebump feeling. And... I turned my back to the kind of the ledge aspect of it, and that's when I felt something poke me. And uh, I was uh, was very interesting. I mean, you can feel it when you're walking up to that site to Profile Rock. As you're walking from you know the parking area and taking that left and going through the woods, you can kind of feel the energy amping up the closer you get to it. You can feel it. It's like a static charge in the air. Yeah, it's definitely a different different feeling than you get and I feel as though you get when you go into the uh, the actual Freetown State Forest. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of mixed. It seems like there's a little bit more of a positive energy there right. versus yeah, exactly. negative energy. But it's definitely, there's something there. It's interesting. And have you seen photos of it before? You know, it got to the point now with erosion and, and people chipping away at it. Have you ever seen yeah. some pictures from like the 50s or the 60s where you could really make it out? Yeah, to a degree. I, I, I know that there was one on there maybe one of the original photos taken from 1902. Mm-hmm. And then that was definitely a, uh, a little bit more clarity or, you know, I guess for the film back then. But, you know, it kind of reminded me of the old man on the mountain in uh, New Hampshire, which is not there anymore. But, you know, just I've been there a couple of times and just seeing photos of that, you know, just with the erosion and time and pressure and geology is, it's uh, definitely an interesting spot. But, um, one of the main reasons I called was, I don't know if you guys have ever been to this place. Uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I used to be in the heavy metal scene, local heavy metal scene here. And there's a, a studio, practice studio, that's called uh, Priority Music in Hanson, Massachusetts. Uh, Start off 27, and, and I'll tell you, there's some activity in that place. I can I can recall at least several bands and several band members having gone up into the attic of the place, and I remember hearing stories at one time of um, somebody actually getting on videotape of a something scratching on the ceiling and just some kind of a, I don't want to say evil presence there, but definitely something a little more nefarious than mm. would be in a more of a, I guess, less dark place. But this place was definitely scary. I don't know if it's still open or not. Um, I know that the building is still there. Well, you're not you're not doing much to dispel the notion of the heavy metal and the you know the, the demonic connection there with that story. But Monique's probably spent a lot of time there and just doesn't remember it. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite possible. But no, I'll, I'll definitely because you know I I'm out in that area quite a bit. I'll look around. And I'll see yeah. if I can find out if it's still open. It's right off of 27 near the train tracks. I think there's a commuter rail station there. From what I remember, they had put it there and. Uh, it's it was an old ocean spray building 
and the part that was probably the most haunted was the old um, kitchen and cafeteria. And um, I remember going there one time when I first went there, and it was very hard because there was, like, couches, chairs, all sorts of just garbage blocking the stairways to this attic. And it was kind of like, why is that necessary? You know, like, why do they have signs of don't go in the attic kind of thing, you know? And after, you know, some developing, they started clearing it out, and people started going up there and discovering that there was something there, you know? And um, I can remember being there during the day and feeling, you know, something was watching you. It was a really dark place, you know? And um, I think there was actually even some... uh, um, I believe the security guard that used to work there had actually um, had committed suicide on the property at one point, and there was some really just bad things around in that place. And um, I can remember a band member of mine going to the restroom at, you know, say around midnight. He used to close at one in the morning, and um, he came back and his eyes were just red as hell. And I'm like, dude, what's going on? And he's like, I think I was just possessed. And we're all kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know. But I mean, he was serious, and he wasn't really into those types of things. And this was a guy that had gone up in the attic a couple of times, and had, you know, eh, I don't believe that's crap. And after that instance, he definitely had a different perspective on it. So, um, yeah, I would, that would be a really good point of interest for you guys. Yeah, I'll see if I can find out if it's still open, and, and maybe they'd be willing to let us come in. We'll give you a call. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for the call. You too, and uh, and Stephanie, I gotta just ask you this because as I was checking to see if there was anything on on Twitter, any mm-hmm. anybody using the hashtag Spooky Live? Yep. I saw a joke. Did you? Why Why is Peter Pan always flying? <laughs> I'm afraid to answer. He never lands. <laughs> I like that joke because it never grows old. Really. All you right. went there. I went there. You went I just there. Read, I just read the jokes the way they come in. It's kind of funny. All right, let's take another call before we have to take a break. <laughs> Good evening. You're next on Spooky South Coast. How are you? Tim, that was the worst joke I've ever heard. I have so many worse jokes than that that it would make your head spin <laughs> and probably vomit green soup. Yeah, man. That's pretty It's extreme. George Lopez, man. How you doing? Good, George. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, yeah, I think Stephanie needs to get a lightsaber that's the same color as her phone. I like that. I agree. You're encouraging her to get her own lightsaber? Because I'm, I'm screwed if she has one of those things. Because every time that she's angry at me, she can just take a swipe at me. I'll, I'll lose an ear. It's, You're in striking distance. It's now, better for so, me yeah. to have a lightsaber than an ironing board at this point. So. That's probably true. That's probably very true. <laughs> so how have you been, George? Very good, very good. Hope you had a good holiday, sir. No, absolutely. I uh, hope yours was well, and I know that you've, you've been crazy busy lately. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, though. A lot of things going on and uh, a lot of traveling and uh, not even stopping, uh, hitting back to uh, Seven Sisters next weekend for the uh, it's a book release, book premiere for In the Flicker with uh, Andrea and myself. So uh, Maria Schmidt and Bob Schmidt, always, always wonderful, hospitable people, and uh, they open up their doors for us, and they're going to put candles all throughout the property there. And uh, uh, Kathleen Cody from the original Dark Shadows is going to be there also, so it should oh, nice. be a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I was actually just talking to somebody, uh, one of the, one of our local uh, theater students uh, who you know has come in here with some of the theater groups over the years uh, during my Saturday morning show, and I've interviewed them for the different shows they put on. She sent me a message and said, hey, you're into this paranormal stuff, right? I was watching The Conjuring, and it said that it's based on a true story. And you got to tell me that that isn't true, right? This isn't true. It didn't really happen to anybody. And I said, well. And so I referred her to Andrea's books, and now she is obsessed with the entire story. And uh, I think she's on, into the second book now. Oh, wow. Yeah, 1,500 pages between the three books together, uh, and so eloquently written by Andrea. And, uh, again, everything that she contributed to uh, this collaboration she and I did within a flicker, I, I couldn't have done it without her. She's just fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, a Halloween time frame was the Andrea Perrin theme because she was on a Paranormal Witness, uh, Reels TV, R-E-E-L-Z TV, and then, of course, The Conjuring played time and time again on Sci-Fi. So she had uh, a lot of new friend requests on Facebook and uh, Instagram and Twitter, and uh, uh, she's just been doing fantastic, tireless, tireless effort that woman well, does. What's the new book about? Um, it is a, um, it's nothing to do with the paranormal, believe it or not, Tim. It's, it's a suspense thriller. Uh, to give anything away is to give everything away within this story, but sure, it yeah. is probably... Uh, one of those that needed to be told for the longest time. It's a, a book based on authentic history, but with fictional characters in it uh, that uh, I had created. I had in my mind for the last 25 years, and she was the one who finally talked me into putting pen to paper. And um, what came out from it is just a, a tremendous, a tremendous story. And uh, the reviews have been great, five-star reviews across the board, and people are loving it. And um, I'll send you uh, on Facebook, and I just friend requested, Stephanie, the, uh, the link for the uh, website so you can look at the promo video I put out and give you a little bit more of an enticement of what it's about. Excellent. Yeah, and then we can have you come back on and talk about it at least as much as you can really give away. But it just goes to show that, you know, sometimes you're meant to come across people in your life, and it seems the way that you and Andrea have just come together so harmoniously you know, you were kind of destined to to uh, to meet and to be part of each other's lives. It's uh, it's cosmic forces, Tim. It's the most bizarre thing. You know, we we kind of think about that a lot when we're doing what we're doing in this field and why things happen the way they do. But it seems more prevalent now than ever that uh, everything that has transpired and even while we were writing the story, things were coming up in the news that were absolutely related to and connected to this this book and this story that have been dormant for. For years, and all of a sudden, it's popping up all over the news. I can't figure it out why it's going the way it's going, but something is guiding all of this, and it's just it's incredible. And it's always good when you can trust it enough to, to say, okay, there are forces greater than me guiding this, and I'm just going to let it happen. And uh, as long as that force that's guiding you isn't, you know, taking you down the wrong path or, or taking you down a path that goes against what you believe in, you can give that faith over, and, and good things usually happen. Yeah, well, well, that was the reason I was going to call and, and talk to you guys tonight. I mean, we're in the holiday time frame, and uh, rough time about it uh, two years ago, Tim, when uh, we were going regularly to uh, our stomping grounds here in central Florida in the Ocala National Forest is a town called Kerr City, K-E-R-R City. Mm-hmm. And um, it's where most of my uh, investigators cut their teeth when I still was working with a team and uh, where I take people all the time who, whether it's people in the community or people who've never been, we would go there and we would do investigations. But something dark was either unleashed or uncovered by um, teams that were going in there and being a little bit disrespectful, let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, I did something that probably all of us in the paranormal realize that there's risk involved with but I opened myself up in an invitation, and uh, I've been tormented from that uh, over the holidays two years ago. And I did not deal with going back 
to Kerr City uh, for the following year, and things subsided. But I went back again last uh, January with uh, John Zappis and Brian Kano and Andrea Perrin. We took a, a wonderful bunch of people out there. But I needed to – it's almost like when you have an argument with your significant other and you want to talk to your buddy to make sure you're not crazy or wrong. Right. So yeah. I put people out there to, to verify. And um, John, as an example, wouldn't be there more than 30 minutes and he wanted to go. He says there's something very, very bad on this property. Uh, so it helped me validate what I was experiencing in the past. But I'm talking about night terrorists. I'm talking about things that were – Tim, twisted, perverted. You've been around this field to hear these stories enough times to know – there are people who oversell this because they want to be told, and there's people who just can't explain it. And I'm in that circumstance where I can't really go into describing what visions these things were throwing at me and how it was trying to twist my mind and uh, leave me with sleepless nights and, and fears that there was some kind of an oppression going on. And uh, But talking to so many people that we know in this field, you and I both, um, they said, this is something I may have to deal with for the rest of my life. Am I prepared for it? Yes. Do I have great uh, support? A support group that I can go to whenever things get really bad, sure. But it's it's happened since then. I mean, these night terrors that have been going on are tests, as I would say. There are times that uh, you wonder whether or not it's it's messing with your mind to see whether or not you're finally going to give up. And people not in this field who deal with this, Tim, you you always wonder how they can how they can get through it if they right. don't have the context that you and I do. How do they get through it? You and, know what I mean? And not only that, but you know, we at least have some rudimentary. Uh, understanding, or at least we have uh, some idea of other people who have been through it in a way that we can see others who have come out on the other side of it, who have been, who have stayed strong through it, and and we've seen these stories happen time and time again, where people can essentially beat it back a little bit and and keep it at bay. And when you're going through it, George, I'm sure you feel like, how do I get to that point? I know that it can happen, but I can't feel that that the end is near. I can't feel that that finish line is anywhere close. So how do these people ever be able to deal with it? And especially the worst kind of influences possible out there, too. I mean, if these people are reaching out, residential cases particularly we're talking about here, and they reach out to the wrong individuals, those who are, uh, you know, wanting to go in there and uh, begin to uh, create a an environment that didn't exist in the first place or antagonize that much more, and then they leave and leave these people to their own defenses. It's, it's a horrifying scenario that I could possibly even imagine. Uh, you know, if I did not have the support of the people, you know, calling them at 4.30 in the morning, uh, very close friends to say, listen, you know, something's happened and I need to understand this. I need to uh, dictate this to somebody so somebody knows in case, God forbid, something happens that uh, there's, there's some kind of a record of it. And uh, it, it's a very scary thing when you feel you have no um, no way to combat this because it's in your subconscious state, uh, because it's in your nightmares. And uh you know, for me, I feel very grounded. I'm a very grounded person. When I go to these asylums and these institutions and these hospitals and these jails, I've never once needed to protect myself. But how do you do that in your sleep? You can. Um, it takes a lot of practice, and it takes the right person to deal with, because um, I've absolutely dealt with what you're you're discussing right now. Um, even, I mean, I can go into a place and I can feel like I didn't need as much protection. When I go home and I go to bed, I have nightmares every single time I do any type of investigation or I do any type of um, clearing or anything like that. So it does happen, but um, it absolutely is possible. It might take time to do. Um, I mean, if you ever want to discuss it or you feel like you need some help, definitely reach out to me. You know where to find me. Um, but it's, it is it is possible to get through. It might take some time, but it, it definitely can happen. Well, and I appreciate that, Stephanie. Yeah, when I've, when I've gotten through it each time, I've woken up 
saying the Lord's Prayer, uh, yep. saying Psalm 23. And in some cases, I've woken up swinging, physically swinging, yep. to to defend myself. So at least my stature uh, of, of you know standing my ground is still there subconsciously. Mm-hmm. But you know, you wonder when is the point in time that they wear you down. Uh, it, it's an interesting aspect because I never partic- particularly saw myself on this side of the fence ever. Uh, in this field and having to contend and deal with this. But I think it's a, and I don't know what your opinion is on this, guys, but I think it's a great tool. Uh, as, you know, unfortunate as the situation is that I'm finding myself in, at least I can relate that much more to those who are dealing with this also, and I can empathize. Yeah, you, you've yeah. had a first-person insight that, you know, a lot of people who research this and are involved in this field probably wouldn't be willing to put them themselves into if you gave them the option. You know, a lot of them would say, no, I wouldn't want to deal with that. I wouldn't want to go through it. But mm-hmm. it gives you that extra insight, and it gives you that, you know, that kind of camaraderie with people who do it now. And, and you know, we talk about kind of being the paranormal support group and letting people call up and invent and share their stories but that's really what they need and and the words can ring hollow if it has if it's coming from somebody that hasn't been through it yeah i i find myself at this point in time understanding more so from a residential standpoint what these people have to contend with and and being able to say i've been there this is what i'm dealing with and and even as these continue to go on from time to time when we're doing the show andrew and i i will make note i will speak about what i'm still experiencing again keeping it in some sort of a audio journal god forbid something were to happen that somebody else could at least you know learn from this uh and i hope that's never the situation with me i hope that's never the case i hope i went over this overall but um you know anybody and everybody i've talked to about this said you know once this happens it's like somebody who has dealt with a possession or an oppression uh, it never really truly goes away. There's constant visits that they have to deal with with regards to a, uh, well, whoever the clergyman is, whatever denomination that it is, to make sure that this thing does not come back after them again. Um, listen, we all know there's risks involved with this. Uh, I, I, and and I'm, I'm the most aware because of the places I've gone to with that expectation. I just never expected it. And it came at me, broadsided me, blindsided me. And uh, uh, just one of those things that... Uh, uh, you, you just hope nobody in the field has to contend with. And uh, it, it doesn't disrupt my normal waking days. It doesn't at all. But you always wonder when you're going to go to sleep that night whether or not it's going to return. Absolutely. Well, we know you're a strong person, and we know that you have a lot of strong people around you. But we'll keep sending positive thoughts your way. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. You guys have a great holiday. If I don't talk to you before the Christmas time frame, enjoy it also. You as well. Take care. You as well. And uh, that is George Lopez. Of course, you can check him out on Dead Air Radio. He's uh, he's always, you know, uh, out and about at different paranormal events and, and uh, just a fascinating guy to hear. Because, you know, you hear him talking to other people about their stories all the time. And when you get the chance to actually hear him open up and share right. some of his own experiences, you realize, like, as much as you want to kind of stand there and, and, and be a chronicler of these things and be a conduit for other people to tell their stories, when it sucks you in and when it reaches out and grabs you, it's it's even that much more worse because it's almost like you feel, I think I was asking for this. Right. I don't feel like I was, but I may have very well been. And then that causes a whole new round of questions for yourself as well. So I mean, it's definitely, it's one of those things where you're strong for everybody else, but who's there for you when you need to discuss something or who's there for you when you have a problem because mm-hmm. you're always the fixer of problems. Um I mean, what he was describing absolutely can be dealt with, absolutely can be fixed. It takes a I mean, I deal with these people all the time. They come to me for this type of thing. Um, so I'm not sure. I mean, that's why I offered help because it takes a long time. And sometimes it uh, takes everything out of me to help. But 
And it probably takes different varying approaches. Yes. You know, not to not to put it into a, a, a silly context, but, you know, like if you're playing a video game, say, mm-hmm. you know, and you know that certain characters have certain abilities right. that will help to fend off an enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to know how to use those different characters and those different attacks in right. order to best take down that enemy. And it, it could be the same thing with the support that you have around you. Certain people might have certain gifts and certain ways to help. Right. And you need to kind of build a, a team and build a, you know, build a game plan strategy to go after these things. I mean, I have my own group of people that I call. If I feel like I can't handle a situation on my own and I'm working with a client, I call them. They come down, they help me, but we do take care of the problem. And we do make sure it doesn't come back. I mean, I'm a firm believer in light fights dark no problem anytime um it's kind of like um like being a parasite you know a parasite needs something to feed off of if it doesn't have something to feed off of it has nowhere to go it leaves it goes and finds somebody else um it's the same thing you know you have to you have to make sure that you take care of the problem the first time and it's not something like oh sorry you have to deal with it for the rest of your life because it can be taken care of but it takes the right type of person it takes the right type of team and it takes the willingness from the person in order to to put in that time and effort because it might take longer than you expect. Sometimes it's an easy fix. Sometimes it's not, but it's not something to joke about. And that's why I tell people all the time, you know, the paranormal is not a joke. You know, walking into something like that, it's it's not like fun and games. Like, oh, let's go see what's in the Bridgewater Triangle tonight. You don't know what you're opening yourself up to. And I believe in protection. I believe that you should have some type of protection. I've seen things that I wish I never saw in my life, but I saw them for a reason. And if that means that I'm meant to help people that have seen those things too, then so be it. And that's why I'm here. But it's not something I wish upon. Like, hey, Moniz, I really wish you run into a demon tonight so you can see what it's like. It's it's not fun, but you it gives you that understanding in, in order to help others, I guess. Well, Moniz, you feel like you actually have in the past encountered these these type of entities too, uh, but more from the counterpoint of you know trying to help those who are going through it and being there for them. Have you ever reached the point where something got oppressive on you? Yes, um, and actually that started from very early days in like well, well my early days in the mid eighties. Back when I was a teenager and, you know, thinking I'm invincible and I can go do this and that and there's nothing that's going to harm me and found out that I was wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and it's something that still, you know, affects me to this day when I go and deal thing, deal with things. It's like, am I going to run into something like this again? And I have on a few occasions, but, you know. Back then versus what's now, I mean, right now, I think the main reason why a lot of paranormal groups are happening and doing stuff and people are getting into this is because we are able to share a lot more easily than back back in my day. I had no idea who to really turn to when I dealt mm-hmm. with that. Now we've got, you know, shows like ours and other, other you know, media things that people can at least get the first footsteps rolling mm-hmm. to right. somebody that can help them. I was yeah. seven when I first had my, my first horrible experience. I didn't go looking for it. I didn't even know what paranormal was. I was attacked by something. I, I lived with that vision for the rest of my life, and but I was helped to get rid of it in, in my own way and everything that happened to me. So I passed that on to everybody, and I know that, I mean, from we're talking over 20 years ago, I I figured it out, and... 
I kind of figured out at that point in time, like, this isn't going to be the last time that I've seen something like this, and it wasn't. And if I was told how to get rid of it, then I guess that's that's what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. Something that I ran from for a very long time, but it, it's no joke. Now, Kim, I know you've had your own little brushes back and forth. No. But I've, I've never felt like I was attacked. Uh, I've, I've never, I mean... Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I've been there a couple of times when you have been attacked. But that's attacked on, on site. You know what I mean? And, and being attacked during the course of an investigation is, in my mind, completely different than if something is persistent and following you over time and doing to you like what George Lopez was saying it was doing to him, mm-hmm. you know, that's a completely different category. If it's during the course of the investigation or while you're there on the property, then it kind of falls, in my mind, under the, you're kind of asking for it because you're there. You know, so you're kind of, you know, that's that's kind of one of the hazards. Hazards of the job. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's kind of one of the things that can happen when you go in there. It's like, you know, it's like uh, when the minute you walk into the door, the minute you open yourself up for it, that's a very real possibility. No matter what you do to protect yourself, all you're really doing is protect yourself from being able to, to suffer mm-hmm. the consequences of it. You're not really protecting yourself from keeping it from happening at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it wants to try to manifest, it's going to try to manifest. So I, I've always taken that as part of the job when you're going to Lizzie Borden's. Yeah, there's going to be something bad that's probably going to happen to me if I keep pushing it around. Just as an example, it's that place. But it mm-hmm. happens. I never had anything follow me because I always kind of went with a firm. And even when Stephanie's like, you should protect yourself. I'm like, I have a firm. Nothing's going to bother me tenant when I go into these things. I wouldn't do it if I felt like it could. And for the first time ever, when we did the first Fort Tabor Face Your Fears night, Mm -hmm. something got me outside of the investigation. Mm -hmm. Something got me at home that night. And I didn't think anything of it when it happened until Stephanie said the same thing happened to her. And then another person said the same thing happened to them. That's when it made me think, okay, this is beyond just... Maybe Stephanie's not crazy. Oh, no, I don't think that you're crazy. I'm just saying that I... I didn't think that I needed to go through that. No, but it takes something like that to kind of, you See, know. you're hearing me say this. A slap in the face, so to speak. Well, no, I'm, I wasn't going to go that extreme, but it's it's the actual experience. It's not so much like, oh, you don't believe it can't happen, but okay, it hasn't happened to me yet. But when it does happen to you, it makes you kind of take a step back and think like, oh, okay, that's what this is, and... It can happen, and it did happen to me. Not not a slap in the face, because he was never, like, disrespectful about it. Like, I had my way of doing things, he had his way of doing things, and that was totally fine. But it never happened to him, but this time it did. Yeah, see, I, I mean, you're hearing me say this, and, and people might be thinking that I'm talking about, like, oh, well, Tim thinks he's invincible, and Tim thinks no, he's a badass. I don't and see it that way, because I know you. Right, but, I mean, that's what people might be thinking when they're hearing this. But that's not the way that I looked at it. I looked at it as, like... You know, I'm not you, Stephanie. I don't have anything that would be attractive to these spirits to try to latch on to me. Right. So I don't see them as looking at me as a target. Well, if you're with me, they're going to get me first anyways, right? Well, that's because I hide behind you and I right. throw, you, <laughs> throw you first down the hallway. No, that doesn't happen. She'll tell you I no. turn all super protective. Yes. And But what, what I've always felt is that, you know, I'm I'm just there as I've always kind of felt like almost like a third party observer more than an active participant, even mm-hmm. though I tend to usually take the lead because that's just how I, I am. But that's the approach that I've always taken, so I never thought like anything would care enough to target me. But whatever happened after that Fort Tabor event, and I'll just rehash it really quickly, uh, you, you know, the night went on like any regular normal investigation, more or less. There was some 
stuff that happened in one of the locations right. where we were encountering something that didn't want us there, didn't want us talking about the things we were talking about, didn't want us pushing the way we were pushing. But I didn't feel like it was anything demonic or, or really overtly negative. I thought it was just like a bad spirit. Mm-hmm. Like it was the spirit of some people who had done some bad stuff. And so I didn't really get all that concerned about it while it was happening. But that night, came home, went to bed about 3 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. woke up an hour later with a severe leg cramp in my left thigh. Thigh? Calf. Calf. I have to think physiology there. But, you know, like something grabbing and ripping and tearing apart my left calf, which, you know, is like a charley horse. We all get those in our sleep sometimes from time to time. So I, after I could finally shake it a little bit and get up out of bed, I mean, it was one of the worst I've ever had. I got up, I drank a big glass of water, and I ate a banana, thinking that mm-hmm. the hydration of the potassium would help it so that it wouldn't happen again. Great. So I, I'm thinking in my head, maybe I didn't drink enough water, maybe I was dehydrated, did a lot of walking, you know, maybe that's part of it. But then I went back to sleep, and an hour later, at like 5 a.m., I woke up to my other leg, same exact thing, like just be, like the muscles being torn off the bone. And it took me a lot longer to get up and be able to get a drink of water after that, but it never went away. It dulled a little bit, but it never went away, and it lasted for days. And I've never had a Charlie horse or a cramp or anything like that last for days. And I'm, you know, the least physically fit guy that you'll ever meet, but I've never had that happen. And when I mentioned it to you, you I mentioned it to you, I think, on Mon- no, on Sunday, yep. you said that the same thing had happened to you that night when you went home, and you were still feeling it days after. Yeah, and, you I know, didn't you're have... The, uh, the Charlie horses like you did, but my entire body felt like I got hit by a Mack truck repeatedly. And it lasted till that was what, a Saturday night? So I couldn't remember if it was a Friday or a Saturday, but I want to say till like Tuesday, you and I yeah. were still talking about it. And, you know, we were comparing some mental notes too of like how we were feeling and <laughs> they were exactly the same. And what's weird is that, like, as I went into it on the following week, because we had another one yep. the week after, and as I went into it, like I started to feel a little bit apprehensive about doing some of the things that we were doing the week before and going down the same route and asking the same questions. And I started to like feel myself tense up a little bit. And I'm like, wow, for the first time ever, I'm actually apprehensive yep. about doing something on an investigation. So, Well, you know I would never let anything happen to you anyways. Well, I know, but I just felt like maybe it was, you know – just the just the wrong thing to do at the time, but then it turned out to be the right thing because that's what actually got it to interact with us, mm-hmm. which is really what it's all about. Yeah, is, it's not you know, like making we were being connection. disrespectful or anything like that. We were just trying to make conversation, and it was one of those that just didn't want to. If anything, we were we were trying to you know quote unquote save one of the spirits that was there. Right. You know, we were trying to kind of bring that one forward and, and not have it have to deal with the other ones. So, I mean, it's certainly one of those things that, you know, until you have it happen to you, you really don't understand. And again, mine was just a low-level experience right. of it, but it's enough to make me be a little bit more open-minded when people are saying, you know, how much it can impact them. Because your natural tendency is to say, well, how much can you really let it impact you? It's it's not like it's there. It's not like it's an actual person that can stand in your way. Right. I mean, you, you just stop paying attention to it and you stop giving it power. You know, is is the way that I've always felt about it, but then it happens and you realize it's not that easy. Yes and no, because certain entities have more power than 
we may realize. Um, I mean, I, I explain it to people all the time. Like, they can manipulate objects all the time. They can manipulate energy as far as, you know, electrical and different things like that. They can manipulate an object to fall on top of you if they wanted to. Um, I mean, how many times have people said, like, oh, I had this thrown at me or, you know, things like that? Yes, they can. They can physically hurt you with their their own energy. Um, it's not like they're going to walk up to you and punch you in the face and you're going to feel it, but they can manipulate objects to hurt you. Um, but the other aspect of it is we're made of energy. All we are are big balls of energy. So they can manipulate our energy too in our thoughts, which is a huge part of what George was talking about and a huge part of what you just described too. So there's plenty of different ways for, for it to do it. And I'm, I'm sure... I mean, mental torture to me would be much far, well, far worse than, um, than physical pain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, what? as far as like, I mean, Moniz, you'll understand what I'm talking about, but like Nicole and I, when we hang out, we all, we both have the gift of telepath, the communication. So we'll sit in a room full of people and we'll plant thoughts in people's heads. You know, like silly little things. I've watched you do it with your own husband. That right. was priceless. And um, we'll, we'll see them repeat what we're saying. Different entities can do that with you if they want to on a much more, you know, not nice level, I guess. You mm. know, I don't want to use the word evil or anything like that because, you know, that gets into all religious How aspects. About malevolent. Like that. Yep, I guess. You know, it's just, it's a, it's... It's not nice, no matter what way you you put it. So, it can it can affect you in all different ways. And if your mental state already isn't good, and they're preying on that, which majority of the time they look for people that are weaker. Because Tim, your your stance of going into an investigation of nothing's going to touch me, that's your own way of protection. Yeah. I have a different ritual that I do. I have different guides that I work with. I have different, you know. I have a whole list I could go through, um, but I work with them on different levels for different reasons, and. Once I learned that and I practiced it for years and years and years, now I understand it and I understand why it protects me. But Tim, your own your own mind was protecting you until you came across what you did. So, and I think that's probably a good place to leave the discussion tonight. Uh, we are going to add in the uh, Vermin Supreme interview into the podcast, so I'm going to do one of those things where <laughs> I like I'm going to like in, in, introduce it. So. <laughs> All right, here we go. We're gonna act like uh, gonna act like this is all happening live, and that we didn't do this all later on in editing. Okay. So now, before we go, we are gonna hear from presidential candidate Vermin Supreme. Uh, here he is talking to me this morning on the Tim Weisberg show here on WBSM uh, because he's making a lot of headlines up in New Hampshire. Is our guest now? He is Vermin Supreme, and he joins us uh, all the way from his home up there. And uh, good morning, Mr. Supreme. How are you? Good morning, America and Tim. How are you today? Oh, we are doing very well. Uh, I speak collectively for all of America, but you know we, we need some help, and uh, and of course uh, anybody that's been paying attention to the news this week has seen your uh, has seen you arrive and, and declare your candidacy for president, and let everybody know exactly what it is that you stand for that makes you different than some of these other candidates that we've seen. Yes, it would be my pleasure to do so. My name, of course, is Vermin Supreme. I, all politicians are vermin. And I am the Vermin Supreme, and that is why I am the most qualified candidate in this race at this time. Yes, I will lie to you, because I am a politician, and I have no reason not to. I will promise you anything your little heart desires, because you are my informed constituents. You are the voting public, 
and I have no intention of keeping any promise that I make. I'm a friendly fascist. I'm a tyrant that you can't trust, and you should let me run your life because I know what is best for you. Now, friends, let me say this. Gingivitis has been eroding the gum line of this great nation of ours for long enough and must be stopped. For too long, this great nation of ours has been suffering a great moral and oral decay in spirit and incisors. A country's future depends on its ability to bite back. We can no longer be a nation indentured. Oh. Yes, so won't you join me as we cross the bridge work over into the 23rd century. May we become a sea of shiny, smiling, shiny, smiling, shiny, smiling, smiling, shiny faces from sea to shiny, shiny, shiny sea. Now, friends, do not be fooled by false teeth prophets. This mandatory toothbrushing law is not about the secret dental police kicking down your door at 3 a.m. to make sure that you and your children are brushed. No. This law is not about the computer dental chip implants to track your movements and make sure you've brushed uh, for you and your children's safety. This mandatory toothbrushing law is not about the dental re-education centers. It's not about the preventative dental maintenance detention facilities. It is not about the government-issued toothpaste containing an addictive yet harmless substance. It is not even about the DNA gene splicing to create a race of winged monkeys to act as tooth fairy enforcers. No, friends, what this mandatory toothbrushing law is really all about is, of course, strong teeth for a strong America. Thank Absolutely, you. I'm yes. Vermin Supreme. That is my number one signature issue, you may say. Well, and of course, people have seen say it. Say it. it. It is your number one issue. Thank you. And people have seen you walking around with the giant toothbrush, which, you know, thankfully you haven't had to actually use on anybody yet. But, uh, you know, I think if elected, we should probably give you carte blanche to use that as you see fit, I would think. I believe so. Forced, forced dentistry is, is what this country needs to get it back on track. We can make America greater again. Well, and one of the other parts of your campaign and, and, and part of your platform is that you want to give every American a pony, and there's a reason for that. Well, yes, there is a very good reason for that, for my uh, pony program, if you will. And uh, let me say this about that. The switch to a pony-based economy will revolutionize the way America does business. Ponies will create American jobs. Ponies will revitalize America. Ponies are a green transportation solution. Ponies produce usable methane gas. Ponies will lower our dependence on foreign oil. Ponies will create an abundant source of pony-based fertilizer. Ponies are the future of America. Ponies are a viable currency for goods and services. Ponies have little, tiny carbon footprints. Ponies are a renewable resource. Ponies are nice. Ponies are recyclable. Ponies are cute. Ponies are delicious. In summation, free ponies for everyone, no new taxes, and economic prosperity for all. Now, it should also be noted, of course, that this free pony that you will receive is indeed a federal pony identification system. You must have your pony with you at all times. 
Understood. Well, and, and of course, you've run for president before. This is not the first time. But in, in 2012, you campaigned on a platform of zombie apocalypse awareness and a way to utilize these zombies when they do come as a way of having a renewable energy source. That is very, very true. And I am very glad that uh, the Pentagon and the CDC have finally gotten on board with the zombie apocalypse awareness. I believe all my efforts have paid off. And if you go to the Center of Disease Control, you will find out that they have a plan in place for the zombie uh, apocalypse, as does the Pentagon. Now, of course, my program is a little bit uh, different in that I hope to utilize the awesome power of zombies to create energy to lower America's dependence on foreign oil by utilizing the latest in giant hamster wheel technology. Now, simply by dangling brains in front of the zombies, they become quite interested, and they will continue shuffling and ambling uh, in perpetuity, if you will. It's clean, it's green, it's renewable, it's zombie energy. And once again, I would like to point out that there has never been a human fatality, a licensed zombie turbine energy facility. Thank you. I'm Berman Supreme. Well, and, and part of the other, uh, of your 2012 platform, too, was time travel research as well. And, you know, we're talking about making America greater, and, and couldn't we use time travel to help improve the country? Yes, sir, you are 100% correct in that. Time travel is a very, very important signature issue. It is one of the four planks that uh, makes my little soapbox. And, uh, of course, yes, uh, I promised in the past to go back in time and kill baby Hitler with my bare hands, by golly. Um, and, of course, uh, Jeb Bush finally responded to my email there, and, uh, and I think we all heard him say that he would go back. He would go back in time, but let me say that I am the only candidate who will go back in time. In fact, I didn't even know that there were more than one child in the Hitler household, and, and I, I feel bad about uh, killing his two infant brothers there. But... Uh, so it goes. Uh, the time travel program marches on. Uh, I was able to break Napoleon Bonaparte's arm, uh, as you can see in many of the paintings, um, and thus changing the course of Waterloo. So, uh, so I do take credit for that. Um, of course, I will be going back in time and uh, and killing all the bad guys, all the bad guys. Uh, Saddam Hussein, uh, uh, Bin Laden, all, all of them, all of them, all of them. Yes. Well, I think that led to some concern, though, when you showed up this week in New Hampshire and, and you were fully armed, uh, you know, and, and it, it said that you don't really go anywhere without your, your complement of, uh, of weapons. I believe that's a slight exaggeration, but I will take it. Um, yes, uh, when I went to New Hampshire to do my filing, um, I was indeed carrying uh, several uh, firearms uh, because, once again, uh, New Hampshire uh, is a, one of the most uh, Second Amendment-friendly states in the nation. In New Hampshire, open carry is the law with uh, no conditions, and in fact, uh, you are allowed to carry uh, your guns openly, uh, not concealed, of course, uh, unless you have a permit, uh, into the State House of New Hampshire. And so uh, it was an exercise uh, in uh, the, my Second Amendment uh, rights, I was also, of course, uh, playing towards my base, uh, the Libertarian uh, Free State Project, and uh, uh, I really needed to burnish my uh, my Second Amendment credentials. I believe people thought that I might be a little weak on that. So, yes, I did have a pump-action shotgun uh, on my back. Uh, it had a lovely, uh, it had uh, flowers sticking out of the barrel, as it did an American flag sticking out of the barrel and a smiley face balloon sticking out of the barrel. I had a Glock on my hip and another pistol uh, 
duct tape to the outside of my boot, uh, my, um, and uh, I was uh, hoping to be the first candidate to uh, openly carry while filing for the presidency in New Hampshire. However, uh, because Ben Carson was there, or uh, he was waiting to file, I seem to have held him up a little bit, uh, the Secret Service were involved, and the Secret Service uh, used their federal powers to override the uh, Second Amendment protections in New Hampshire. So uh, I was disarmed before I was allowed uh, to to file. Uh, once again, there, were, there was no ammunition involved, and I'd like to uh, very much address uh, one media report uh, in particular, which was the base of another media report. Uh, the Australian Broadcasting Company uh, claimed that I had a, a, a pistol in my boot, and that is simply untrue. Um, the the uh, pistol itself was holstered, and it was duct-taped to the outside of my boot, and that is uh, clearly uh, visible on my profile pic uh, on the Facebook page. Yeah, we're talking about the boot on top of your head. The, you have, of course, yes. I, are there any other boots? I'm sorry. I, I didn't make that clear. Yes, it was a, uh, taped to the big old rubber boot uh, right on my head. So essentially it was strapped to my head. And, and of course, it's $1,000 to file for running for president in New Hampshire, and you laid that down with $50 bills uh, with a particular message written on them. Uh, yes, I did. Uh, part of the stamp Stampede uh, uh, project uh were there, and they have these uh, wonderful stamps. If you look up Stamp Stampede, it's a project, and they uh, sell these stamps for very reason uh, for a very reasonable price. They're like stampers; you get the stamping. And so I had uh, Ryan, my assistant, at the at that moment, uh, stamp each and every bill in real time as I was plunking it down on the counter. And each of these bills were stamped with the phrase, uh, "Not to be used for bribing politicians." So I, I felt that was a very important statement to make. Uh, not a big fan of Citizens United. Um, corporations being people uh, is, is a fiction, uh, unlike people being people, which is obviously a very real thing. So I, I can reach out and poke you in the ribs. I can't do that to a corporation, sadly. So now the uh, the primary is expected to be held around February 9th. Nothing's actually been set in stone. But, uh, you know, being a New Hampshire resident, do you plan on trying to get ahead of the rest of the candidates and doing a lot of extra campaigning? Uh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I, I believe this could by, be my year. Um, I do have to remain competitive, even though uh, ultimately it doesn't really matter one whit uh, the number of votes I get. I have a, a very wide uh, base of support across the political spectrum, although uh, it's, it's a little shallow. Uh, very wide, a little shallow. Um, but, yes, I will be knocking door to door. I will be appearing at other candidates' events, uh, unarmed, I might add, because, uh, once again, part of my campaign has always been uh, attempting to engage in debate uh, with the other candidates, and I've had uh, uh, quite a bit of success over the years. And I believe that if, if people generally, if they were believing me to be armed, it might uh, impede my access. Uh, so that, that particular one was, I was a little bit of a one-off. And, and can you just, final final question, can you address the rumors that are swirling out there that uh, if you get past the primary that you may pick as your running mate, Jimmy McMillan of the Rent is Too Damn High Party? Uh, yes, that is a very real possibility. Um, we have worked together in the past. Uh, we have a, a mutual uh, reciprocity agreement, uh, whereas uh, he... Uh, in 2012, uh, he was on my VP slot, and I was on his in the rent is too damn high party. So uh, we've worked that out uh, once again because I'm all about reinventing government, and uh, I am not too uh, chained to the laws of reality or, or the way things are. 
Um, I can have any number of uh, vice presidential candidates. Uh, in fact, uh, more of a cabinet, if you will, a, a vice cabinet perhaps. Uh, my number one uh, pick uh, was uh, Super Barrio, uh, who was a Mexican uh, activist. Uh, I thought he, he also ran for president back in 96. Uh, he ran on both sides of the border. He was running for, uh, I believe, the presidency of the entire North American continent. Um, but I haven't been able to track him down in, uh, in well, Mexico the, Yeah, the, ma- the mask doesn't help. It may, you know, it may, he just blends right in with the mask. Uh, yes, with that wrestling mask of his. Uh, he's truly a, a great Mexican hero. And um, I, th- I think he's Mexico's Jimmy McMillan, so I'd, I'd love to have them both both along for the ride. Um, and, you know, a lot of people ask me if they can be my vice president and me being the very uh, friendly politician that I am. I say yes, of course you can. <laughs> everybody gets a turn. Yeah, everybody gets a turn. Sorry, and, so- uh, ultimately, uh, if I can uh, address this briefly uh, on the Jimmy McMillan subject, uh, I do hope to uh, ultimately replace Congress with a high council of Internet memes. Uh, my belief is that uh, people who have become memes and gone viral on the Internet, uh, they have received votes. They've received digital votes. And I believe that once uh, there's a lot of talk about moving uh, actual voting over to the Internet, and I believe then at that point then it will be a very simple thing to uh, count uh, hits or votes or likes uh, as actual votes and uh, install this high council of Internet memes. Um, I'm hoping to have a sweet honey brown because ain't nobody got time for this. I'm hoping to have Antoine Dobson in, in charge of uh, security. Uh, so I'm trying to bring in uh, more memes because people really like that Internet stuff. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to have to find a role for the most interesting man in the world and for good guy Greg. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that could bring a lot to that exactly. cabinet. Exactly. I mean, it should be noted, of course, that many memes are simply drawings or, or photographs of animals. I, I don't see gr- Grumpy Cat really uh, being part of the decision-making body, although there has been suggestions that perhaps we could program a computer to uh, to answer the questions and vote in the way that uh, Grumpy Cat might. Well, Grumpy Cat's a pretty easy one, really. Yeah, I think he'd vote down everything. Um, but, yes, yeah, sure. there, there's a, a wonderful, exciting world of possibilities out there. Um, I'm trying to, to create the space. I'm trying to open America's imagination. Uh, some people ask why i say why the heck not let's do it people let's make it absolutely so how can people get involved with the vermin supreme for president campaign uh well you can follow me on twitter at vermin supreme on the twitter um i'm on the facebook but you have to look around a little bit because there's so many uh supporter sites uh the vermin supreme for for president there's several of those but you, you can find the right one you can find my uh, my my page um, you could uh, donate freely uh, to, uh, b- by way of PayPal. Uh, my PayPal address is verminsupreme2016 at gmail.com. Uh, people can uh, donate to it. Uh, they can reach out through uh, verminsupreme2016 uh, Um You can bring me to your school, your college. I Skype with high school sometimes. Uh, sometimes I just put on the boot and walk down the street. Um, I do do house parties. If you reach out to me, uh, it, it works as follows. You invite all your friends over for a potluck. I come over. We screen one of my movies. I'd like to plug my movie, Who is Vermin Supreme? Look it up. It's a great documentary based on my career. Um, and then we have uh, some dinner, and uh, then we have a question and answer period, some photo ops, uh, and then I shake down all your friends and, and pass the boot. Of course, I am hoping to reach the federal election matching fund threshold. 
which is uh, raising $5,000 in each of 20 states, if, uh, if that is possible, uh, then the Federal Election Commission will double that amount. However, at this moment, uh, I don't see that happening, but by golly, that's my goal, and I'm sticking to it. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to actually go brush my teeth right now. You have made a very wise choice, Tim. And, and I thank you, uh, Vermin Supreme, for joining us, and hopefully we'll be talking to you when the primary gets closer. Uh, yes, I look forward to, uh, to giving you updates. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, and uh, hello to you, people, wherever you're listening from. Thank you very much. My name is Vermin Supreme. I approve this message. Well, there we go. That was great hearing from from Vermin Supreme, and uh, and hopefully, you know, uh, he gets on the ballot, and 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 he's well, he's on the ballot, but hopefully, uh, he gets some votes in the primary, and he gets on the ballot in other states as well. And of course, we can keep following along with his adventures, as well. So we are just about out of time for this week's show. We'll be back next week with another all new Spooky South Coast program where we talk about the paranormal. And if you want to reach us at any point during the course of the week, you can do so by sending us an email, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You. You can also uh, find us on Twitter, at SpookySC. You can find us individually on Twitter as well. Uh, you can find me, at Tim Weisberg, Stephanie, at Work at Burke. You can find Matt Costa, at Smoking Monkeys, M-O-N-K-E-E-Z. And, uh, and Moniz is on there somewhere. He just and doesn't Moniz, we're going to give you the GPS coordinates to his house. Absolutely. We will actually give you the Google Earth satellite imagery yes and a special password to get on the property and the uh the heat signatures of all the claymore so when you go there you actually can avoid being blown up when you're trying to go to his front door and knock on it see we'll probably just invite you in for a barbecue anyway so it's really not that big of a deal it's true it's true he will he likes friends the, the, char- the charred mammal flesh is all year round. It's not just yes. in the summertime. So, and uh, and of course, uh, if you have any ideas for any guests or any suggestions, you can also send them to us as well. Again, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Thank you, everybody who listens to us live on Saturday nights. Thank you, everybody who listens to the podcast, and thank you to everybody who tunes in each week for the rebroadcasts on Art Bell's Dark Matter Radio Network. So great to be part of the Art Bell family, and we love, of course, everybody that uh, that reaches out to us. You can do so on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, uh, through email. Let us know who you are, where you're from, how you listen to the show, and uh, and also let us know what you like and what you don't like. We can take some criticism. We can take and some hits. A shout-out to Victor in Portugal for uh, giving us an email this week. Yes, absolutely. All the way from Portugal. That's awesome. So keep listening. Keep writing to us. All right. And so that does it for this week's show. Again, we look forward to talking to you all next Saturday night with another all-new Spooky South Coast. It's the only paranormal show on WBSM. So until next week, stay spooktacular.